0: Hello and welcome, this is Michael Annis and you're listening to episode 40 of the Space Rocket History Podcast. I recommend listening to episode 39 before you listen to this episode. And now, the first woman in space, Vostok 5 and 6, part 2. When we left off last week, Vostok 5 with Valeri Pajkowski had just been launched after several delays. As a result of the delays, Bykovsky's hourly flight plan was now off, but he proceeded to follow the flight plan according to orbits. He completed a 10-minute attitude control exercise turning the spacecraft around in an attempt to view the flying rocket stage that had delivered him into orbit, which he did see. And, to everyone's surprise, the UHF transmitters that were not working on the launch pad started working in space. But Vostok's 5 orbit turned out to be lower than the expected 181 by 235 kilometers. The actual orbit was 175 by 222 kilometers. Initial calculations indicated the orbit would not decay for 10 to 11 days. However, more conservative estimates taking into account the increased solar activity and the resulting expanding of the upper atmosphere showed that the orbit could decay after only eight days. With no way of predicting where Vostok 5 might land, the planned eight-day mission was now in question. Ground stations were ordered to be extra vigilant with their forecast of orbital parameters. During Vostok 5's fourth orbit, Khrushchev called Bykovsky, wishing him a good flight and promised a great reception after his return. Also during the 5th orbit, Bykovsky radioed to Kamanin that he felt great and all parameters in the cabin were normal. Even better, during his 6th orbit, as Vostok 5 passed over Leningrad, ground controllers downlinked TV pictures from a camera inside the capsule. According to Kamanin, Bykovsky's face looked serious and a bit tired on a TV screen. Kamanin radioed him, quote, are you going to bed earlier or on schedule? We see you on TV. Smile. End quote. smiled momentarily, causing an explosion of laughter in the control room. Kamanin asked whether he saw the third stage or the sun's corona, to which Bykovsky replied that he just saw a bright star and the sun was too blinding to discern any details. In the meantime, back on Earth, Top officials were already celebrating the successful launch of Vostok 5 despite the impending launch of Vostok 6. Marshal Krylov organized a late-night party. It was said both Gagarin and Titov left the party intoxicated. The next morning, June 15th, Krylov invited both male and female cosmonauts to a breakfast complete with champagne. Around 8 a.m., the launch vehicle with the Vostok 6 spacecraft was rolled out to the launch pad, and the state commission gave its approval to launch Vostok 6 on June 16, 1963 at 12.30 p.m. Moscow time, with the hope of getting as close as possible to the orbit of Vostok 6. At 7 p.m., Tereshkova and her backups arrived at the pad to meet the launch personnel. After the meeting, the cosmonauts and Korolov rode to the top of the vehicle to see the spacecraft. Tereshkova and Solovyova then went to spend the night at cottages at Site 2, as all her predecessors did. On the political front, Leonid Brezhnev informed Kamanin it had been decided not to publicly disclose Tereshkova's military rank, and that all... Female cosmonauts should change to civilian clothes. Back on board Vostok 5, Bykovsky unbuckled and left his ejection seat for some free floating. Unlike previous cosmonauts, Bykovsky was not nauseated and enjoyed the experience. He floated to the windows and noticed an antenna and a dangling piece of insulation. In the evening, on his twenty second orbit, Bykofsky apparently took an unscheduled nap. His rest period was scheduled for the 24th orbit, but TV images showed him with his eyes closed and motionless, and telemetry data registered a pulse of 54 beats per minute. Eager to confirm his status before the communications breakdown, Gargarin called Bykofsky at 11.50 p.m. during the 24th orbit. He radioed, quote, Why no communications on the 23rd orbit, Everything is good, replied Bykovsky. But there was a problem. Vostok 5's cabin temperature was fluctuating between 15 degrees C to 30 degrees C. Back on Earth on June 16th at Tyratom, Vostok 6's launch day was going very smoothly, Chief cosmonaut trainer Kamanin and some veteran cosmonauts were on hand as Tereshkova and her backup, Solovyova put on their spacesuits. They boarded the bus and arrived at the launch pad. Tereshkova reported to the chairman of the state commission and was presented with flowers, which she immediately handed over to Korolov. She climbed the stairs to the elevator, waved to everyone, and boarded the elevator and entered the capsule. By this time, her pulse had reached 140 beats per minute. Within 15 minutes, she established radio communications with the ground and reported on hardware checks. Kamanin, proud of his protege, claimed that all who heard her communications had to agree that Tereshkova had conducted all operations better than Popovich and Nikolaev. Vostok 6 lifted off on schedule at 12.30 p.m. Moscow time on June 16th, and the spacecraft successfully reached its planned orbit. Here's a clip. And here is a translated clip of Tereshkova remembering the launch. So when the ship took off and I heard the command start, I shouted, Hey Sky, take off your hat. I'm on my way. Once in orbit, Tereshkova reported that she and her spacecraft were in good shape. She could see the Earth through the VZOR periscope and in the side window. Through the window on her right side, she spotted the third stage of the Vostok 8K-72 rocket, which delivered her into orbit. Within a half hour after her launch, she established communications with Bykovsky in Vostok 5. An hour later, Moscow Television was triumphantly broadcasting live pictures of Tereshkova from orbit. Next, she made two attempts to manually bring the spacecraft into orientation for a simulated landing engine firing, which was scheduled during the second orbit of her mission. She admitted that both attempts to establish the correct stable orientation for the spacecraft had failed, as she had struggled to reach the instruments and the vehicle kept drifting away from a prescribed position. Her failure to control the spacecraft manually could potentially prevent it from completing a deorbiting maneuver if the automated system failed. Although the possibility of this scenario was low, Korolev was reportedly irritated. Here is a translated clip of Tereshkova explaining the problem. You see, there was an error in the program. When it was supposed to land, instead of descending from orbit, the ship was programmed to ascend. I entered the data sent from Earth into the program and was able to land safely. During her third orbit, Khrushchev, ecstatic as usual, called Tereshkova with his congratulations and best wishes. Here's the translated clip systems are working perfectly I feel excellent I can hear you very well your call signal is single but let me call you simply Valentina Valentina I'm very happy and proud that our girl a girl from the Soviet Union is the first woman to fly to space and to operate such cutting-edge equipment June 17th started off well. Both cosmonauts had a good sleep lasting eight hours, and Bykovsky had a pulse of 48 to 56 beats per minute, while Tereshkova recorded 64 to 72 beats per minute. Bykovsky reported that he had great communications not only with the ground, but also with Tereshkova on board Vostok 6. She is singing me songs, he said but he was still unable to sight Vostok 6. Tereshkova said on the night side of Earth, she saw a star three times brighter than Vega, which she believed was Vostok 5. Official Soviet sources claimed the two spaceships came as close as five kilometers during the first orbit of Vostok 6. However, as the mission progressed, Vostok 5 and 6 started drifting apart, and communications became difficult to maintain and, finally, were lost altogether. As the day progressed, it was discovered that Vostok five orbit was decaying faster than expected. It was now calculated that Vostok 5 would only hold orbit for 7.1 days. The State Commission met and decided to shorten Vostok 5's mission to 5 to 6 days in order to prevent an uncontrolled re-entry. The Commission also decided to keep Vostok 6 in orbit for three days instead of one, since Vostok 6 was performing reasonably well. This plan would allow both spaceships to return the same day, June 18th. Kamalin made contact with Tereshkova twice on the 17th. Both times she indicated that her capsule was operating well and she was feeling fine. However, some controllers believed her answers about her health. Were evasive. One of the ground controllers claimed that her voice communications were almost unintelligible. Later in her post flight reports, Tereskova explained that she started feeling pain in her right leg on the second day of the mission, which became worse on the third day. She also started feeling pressure from the helmet in the shoulder area, and her audio headgear started irritating her ear. Tereshkova also reported that when she tried to eat, she suddenly vomited, but she attributed its cause to the bad taste of the food rather than being weightless. Bykovsky also complained about his helmet in the post flight briefing. None of this information was publicly reported at the time. Early on June 18th, flight controllers worked out landing details for Vostoks 5 and 6. It was decided to return Tereshkova during her 49th orbit. So, if the automated braking maneuver failed, she would have another opportunity to conduct a braking maneuver manually during the 51st and 54th orbit. Vostok 5 was to conduct its deorbiting maneuver during either the 82nd or 98th orbit. Despite his mission being cut short from 8 To five days, Bykoski would still be able to break the record for flight duration. During the day, Kamanin communicated with Tereshkova several times. He thought she sounded tired, even though she wouldn't admit to it. Later on, passing over the ground station near Leningrad, Tereshkova did not respond to her initial call. Controllers activated the TV system and found her sleeping. They reluctantly woke her up by switching her cabin lights on and off so they could discuss the upcoming landing and a manual attitude control exercise that needed to be performed before the braking maneuver. During this time, Bykovsky on board Vostok 5 was also feeling somewhat uncomfortable. He ate and slept fine, but on the third day of his flight, he had to take medication for constipation. The medication was now working, and he could use the toilet for the first time. He reported his success over the shortwave radio. He sent the message quote, at zero nine zero five had a cosmic stuk. End quote. The word stuk in Russian means knock. At eleven thirty, Moscow Coordination Center called Kamanin in Tyratam and reported that a ground station in Kaborsk had received Bykovsky's message. Moscow and Korolov believed that the capsule had been hit by a meteorite and immediately started compiling a list of questions to send to Bykovsky during the next communication session in order to assess the danger. They ordered their specialists to estimate the size of a meteor which could be felt by a cosmonaut but would not breach the cabin komanin was assigned to discuss the issue with bykovsky at the beginning of the next communication session when asked about the nature and the region of the knock bykovsky replied that he had no idea what komanin was talking about reminded about his message to kaborsk bykovsky laughingly said that he meant that he had a cosmic stool not Stook, He just went to the toilet," Bykovsky laughed. The laughing ground controllers then congratulated Bykovsky with his space first and said that despite his brave actions, he needed to prepare for landing at the beginning of his sixth day in orbit. Fire.